Good morning, everyone. Man, happy Thanksgiving to everybody. You guys all have a great Thanksgiving this week. Excellent. And it's kind of amazing to think we are actually now officially in Christmas season right now. Are you guys ready for that? Yeah. <laughs> all right. This is my wife, everybody, right here. Uh, <laughs> Actually, the thing about Christmas for our family is that Christmas is really our family's favorite time of year. In fact, this year we kind of, uh, we kind of did a little bit of a, of a sacrilege here, and we decorated for Christmas a week early. Uh, I know, I know. It's crazy, right? It's just absolutely nuts. Um, can't believe we did that, but we did, and um, our house has the tree up, and we had Elf, the movie Elf on the TV going on, and we had, um, you know, all the, the hot chocolate was flowing. It was great. Uh, got everything all decorated and, uh, and all that. Well, uh, we're going to talk a little bit this, this morning about uh, actually entering into uh, really this, just this idea of gratitude and thankfulness for what God has done for us. Um, but really, we're going to be looking at this passage from the Psalms. So I, I, if you have a Bible or a device with a Bible on it, go ahead and turn to Psalm 32. Psalm 32 this morning. And we're going to be uh, looking at that. You know, my most favorite thing about Christmas um, actually is about being able to give gifts to the people I love. I absolutely love to be able to give a gift so that when they open it, they just are elated over it. They're just so excited to open this gift. Um, I'm, I'm actually going for a specific reaction, which I don't always get, but, uh, but I always hope for it when I give a gift. And uh, the, the reaction is just this overwhelming excitement. Screams are acceptable. You know what I mean? Like, I love that. Um, I'm kind of going for something like, I'm going to show you a video here that sort of describes the type of reaction that I'm really looking for. Um, here's what's happening in this video. This, this boy, he, it's Christmas morning. He's opened up, opening up a present and he really wanted Pokemon cards. He really wanted Pokemon cards. So he opened it up and he's going through the cards and he finds a card that he really wanted. Uh, and so he's so excited about this. Check it out. Check it out. I love it. Uh, so I'm hoping for that on Christmas morning. That's what I'm hoping for. Uh, super exciting. I'm not actually sure that I've ever been that expressive about anything in my entire life, but I can think of times where I've felt that way on the inside. You know, where, where, where something, maybe I've received a gift, maybe I've got some really great news that, that just came to me, and it just feels like my heart is just bursting inside with joy because of, because of what has happened. Um, have you guys ever had news like that? Have you ever experienced that where your heart is just like, oh man, this is so awesome. Well, this is, this is really the reaction that I think that we should be having when it comes to the salvation that God has given us. And I think really um, at the end of the day, not, it, it, it's actually very few times in my own life where I can say that I've felt that way about the salvation that God has given me. It's just kind of crazy. I mean, I'm thinking about it. This is the greatest gift that God has ever given. The greatest gift that he could ever give 
is the salvation of our souls into eternal life, right? And, and I remember a few times where I'm just like, oh man, this is so great and I'm so excited. I remember the, really being at summer camp when I, when I became a Christian. It was right before my senior year of high school. And I became a Christian at this summer camp. And I was like, this is amazing. I can't believe that God would do this for me. And there have been times through my life where it's been like that. But most of the time, um, to, if, if, if I'm really honest with you, it's just felt sort of, sort of just commonplace, sort of ordinary. It's like, well, yeah, yeah. Cool, God saved me. That's awesome. And then I've just sort of moved on with life. But why is that? I mean, why, why aren't we just shouting for joy over and over again because of what God has done? And, and I think the answer is that deep down, we think that salvation is something that, that we are owed. It's something that we think that we are, uh, <laughs> that we are entitled to. And so we, at, we tell ourselves, of course God will save me. Of course, you know, I'm, I'm a good person. God, you know, God's got to love me. You know, I've, I've, I, I do all this stuff for him. You know, I love him. I pray, I pray to him. Of course God's going to love me and save me. You know what? I, I think what we need to do in, in order to actually get to this place of, of celebrating and having this joy of the salvation that God has given us, we have to take a step back and we have to look at what exactly God has saved us from. We have to understand actually the depth of our own sin in order for us to realize the lengths that God has gone to in order to bring us this salvation. And it's from that contrast, it's from seeing all of that in perspective that brings us to a place of just joy and excitement. In fact, this is what this psalm is really getting to, Psalm 32. So what I want to ask you to do, um, if you're willing and able, please stand and we're going to read Psalm 32 together, uh, or I will read it and, uh, and you read along. Here we go. Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like the horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Let's pray together. Our Father, we pray that your spirit would be here amongst us to help us to understand and apply your word today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat, everyone. And so this psalm begins and ends with this idea of joy, of happiness, 
okay? If you look at verse 1 and 2, verse 1 and 2 both start with the word blessed, which is this Hebrew word that actually could be translated as happy. Some of you may have a translation that says happy. Happy is the one whose transgression is forgiven, and happy is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. This, This idea of just happiness, joy, excitement, right? And then it, as, the, as it ends, you look at the very last verse of the psalm, it really says the same thing. It says, because of all this, be glad, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy. It says to shout for joy. I don't remember the last time I shouted for anything. Like, <laughs> that's like, wow, that's incredible. Shout for joy because of what God has done here. I think it's fair for us to come to a psalm like this and just be honest and to say, you know what, I don't feel like this all the time. I think that's okay. That's what we can do with, with scripture. We can come to it very honestly and say, you know, this is awesome. And yeah, maybe we should be feeling like this, but I just don't feel like this all the time. And the answer to really resolving that is actually right here in the, in the verses of this psalm. It's how we go from feeling sort of entitled to our salvation to just shouting for joy because of it. It moves us to that place. Most often, I think, when we, when we think about our, our sin and what God has saved us from, we just think about the things that we've done wrong. But verses 1 and 2 of this psalm actually digs a little deeper into this to help us understand what exactly God has saved us from. So if it's okay with you this morning, I, I would love to maybe teach you guys a little bit of Hebrew. Is that cool? Can we do that this morning? See, so the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. And, and, and Hebrew is a crazy language. They, they write from right to left, and there's all, it's all sorts of crazy. But uh, here's the thing with Hebrew is that they have actually three different words in this text right here. In these first two verses, three different words that we would kind of uh, view as sin. Okay, so let's look at verse 1 and 2 together. So it says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. So transgression is the first word that we see here. It's this Hebrew word, pasha, which is just fun to say. Pasha, right? Um, It's just fun. And so uh, pasha is this idea. It it means transgression. It, it, It could be, it sort of has this connotation of rebellion, of rebellion against God. Rebellion was really the, it's talking about the heart issue, the thing that's at the very core of us. Okay, so this is something that every single one of us is born with. This is something that every single one of us has. This wasn't part of God's original design for us. When Adam and Eve were created, this wasn't part of of who they were. But because of their sin in the garden, their heart was corrupted with sin. And they were then in rebellion against God. And this, this rebellion, this rebellious heart, it's actually transmitted, I mean, you could pretty much say genetically, because everybody who was born after Adam and Eve, everybody that was born after them inherited this same rebellious heart, okay? We all have this same thing. Um, and so the heart of every human being is now bent towards evil, It's bent towards evil. Even from birth, every human being has a heart of rebellion against God. So this first word here where it says transgression, it's not just talking about the things that we do wrong. It's not saying that at all. It's actually talking about our rebellious heart. So he says, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. And then he says, whose sin 
is covered. So this next word here for sin is this word chata, chata, right? Chata is really talking about the sinful actions that we commit, the sinful deeds that we commit. These are, these are thoughts, these are words, these are actions that are against God's law. Now, here's how we have to understand this, is that from our rebellious heart is birthed all of these rebellious acts. We sin, we sin because we're sinners at the heart, okay? We are not sinners because we sin. We are not called sinners because we sin. We actually sin because we are sinners. Does that make sense? There's a distinction there. So, so when he says here whose sin is covered, he's talking about these individual sins that we commit, these ways that we break God's law, God's command, So then look at verse 2. He says, Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. Iniquity is the next word that he uses here, and it's this word avon, avon. And this is really talking about guilt. It's guilt. This is our status before God. It's like God is the judge of the universe. And we come before him, and because of our rebellious heart and because of the sinful deeds that we have done, well, we have a guilty verdict before him. So I hope that what you can see from this is that our situation is much worse than just this idea of, you know, well, maybe if I just figure out a way to stop doing these things wrong. Uh, maybe I just fig- if I could just stop sinning, then maybe God will love me more. That's not how this works. Because sin runs so much deeper than just that. It's so much bigger than just the idea of doing things wrong. It's a rebellious heart that leads to these sinful actions, which gives us a guilty verdict before God. And so here's the situation that we find ourselves in. The situation really is that first we would need to have a complete heart change. We would have to have a way to change everything that's going on inside of our heart, this rebelliousness, so that We would have a heart that is pure and clean and actually wants to do something that honors God. We have to have that change of heart first that then leads to actions that actually please God, right? And if we could actually stop doing the things that that don't please God so that we could do things that please God, then, you know, so that's the, that's the second step. But then we get to this place of even if we could do all of that, change our heart and do things that please God, we still have all of these things in our past that we've done that give us a guilty verdict before God. We still have all of that. In fact, if we look at James, uh, this is in James chapter 2, he says, he actually gives us this, this point so clearly. He shows us that for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. You guys, our situation is so much more desperate than we realize. We are guilty before God and there's nothing that we can do to change that. There's nothing that we can do to affect that. Now, there's one more part of verse 2. Verse 2 ends, it says, you know, verse 1 says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. This is where David, writing this psalm, is going to now get to the point of the psalm. How do I get out of this mess? 
How do I get to this place where I'm forgiven and I actually can receive these blessings and find this happiness of salvation? He says, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Look how David continues. He actually uses an example from his own life, a time when he knew he was guilty before God and he was trying to hide it. He's trying to hide it. Look at verse 3. He says, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away, through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, and my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. He's recalling a time in his own life where he knew that he was guilty before God, and he's trying to conceal that sin because he doesn't want to be found out. When we think about it, this is exactly what happened back in the garden, isn't it, with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve committed the first sin, and the first thing that they did, after they realized that they were naked and they had this shame about them because of what they had done, they sewed fig leaves together. This flimsy uh, material, with, with, it wouldn't last, it wasn't going to cover them, but they sewed it together to try their best to cover their own shameful nakedness to cover up their own sin. And then what happened? God is coming out to try to find them and they, and they hide. They hide from God. This is exactly what we do, isn't it? When we sin, we do the exact same thing. We try to hide our sin. We try to hide from everyone. We want to make sure if we're going to sin, we're going to make sure it's in private. We don't want anybody to know about this, especially the people that we're close to, especially the people that we love. We want to make sure our sins are done in secret and we don't want anyone to know. And then what happens, you know, when we hide our sin, we even try to downplay it sometimes, don't we? We try to come to this place where it's like, oh, you know, that's not that big of a sin. It's not that big of a, I'm not really hurting anybody or at least I'm not as bad as that guy, right? And we say these things to try to downplay our sin, to try to make ourselves feel a little bit better about the guilt that we feel for these things. We hide our sin. We downplay our sin. We even try to justify our sin. Oh man, we get so good at this. Where we come through the scripture and we're like, well, you know, I, I see it's wrong in here, but you know what? I, I don't know. God certainly couldn't have meant that. God certainly couldn't have meant what he said in his word, right? Which is so funny because that's exactly what the serpent told Adam and Eve. Did God really say? Did God really say that? It's amazing. So we hide our sin, we downplay our sin, we justify our sin. You guys, we even get to a point in our culture today where we see that uh, people actually celebrate their sin. They celebrate their rebellion against God. And we've seen this multiple times over and over again in our culture that at this extreme end of our rebellion. See, David, in, when he's writing this psalm, he's in this same place. He's in this place where he's feeling guilty for the sin that he's committed and he's trying to hide. He's trying to conceal it. And so that's why he, he tells us, I kept silent. But you know what's amazing about this is that God doesn't leave him there. God actually extends to him one of the most loving and merciful things that he could ever do with David in that situation. Look at verse 4. It says, For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. It's like, wait a minute, what is, what is going on here? How can this be this loving act of God? It sounds terrible. 
God's hand was heavy upon him. He was feeling the guilt of his sin, the weight of what he had done. This sounds awful. But we have to think of it this way. You see, David was guilty before God, and God has every right at that point to destroy him. God has every right at that point to pour out his wrath on him. Think of him like a little Play-Doh guy, and he just comes in and just, like he has every right to do that, okay? That's what God, God really does. But he doesn't do that. What God does is he comes to David and he makes him feel the guilt of his sin. And God is so patient. He's so loving. He's so caring that he, that he does this in order to draw David back to him. He does this in order to help David come to repentance, to realize what he has done, and to change his heart. Okay? And so, you may be sitting here thinking, Man, I, I think I've felt this before. I think I've felt the guilt of my sin before. I know I have. Times where I know I've done something wrong to somebody and I've hurt somebody, and it just weighs on my heart. And it feels just like what David says. It feels just like this hand that's just crushing my chest because I know that I've hurt somebody. Or when we've done something that we know is clearly not what God wants us to do, and you feel that weight on you, This is actually a mercy from God. This is actually God's mercy to us. Because when we feel this, this means that God is drawing us back to him in a a very patient and loving way. He's drawing us back to him and leading us to repentance, which is exactly what David does. Look at verse 5. He says, I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. David felt that guilt from God, and then he just came to God and confessed. And I love this too, because he uses the exact same three Hebrew words that we looked at for sin. And and he does it in the perfect order. It's exactly how we would do it, isn't it? Look, Look at what he says. He says, I acknowledged my sin to you. This is the chata. This is the, the sinful actions. That's where we would start. We're like, oh man, God, this is what I've done. This is what I've done. I, I, I can't believe that I've done this. I'm so sorry. And then he says, I did not cover my iniquity, my guilt, my avon. He did not cover his iniquity. He, he's willing to come before God and say, yeah, I'm guilty. This is what I've done. I'm guilty. And then I love this last part of verse 5 because it says, I said, I will confess my transgressions, my rebellion to the Lord. But, but he doesn't actually do it, does he? He doesn't actually get to that part because the next part of the verse says, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. You forgave the guilt of what I've done. So even before he can do it, he just came to God in humility. He just came to him and and began this confession. And God was merciful and gracious and forgave him even before he could confess. It was just, just unbelievable. This is the mercy of God. 
This is what God does for us. Now, why would David write this? Why would he write this down for us? It's because he wants us to know that if we want this kind of joy, the the joy of our salvation, we need to, first of all, understand the depths of our sin, but we also need to know that we have an incredible, gracious, and merciful God who is ready to forgive. He's ready to forgive right now. The fact that we're even here today is evidence of the fact that he is patient with us and that he wants to forgive us and extend that grace to us. And so he's giving this testimony of the grace of God in his own life so that we as the reader can have confidence, can really have faith that God is merciful and he will forgive. We can go to him because this is exactly who he is. Church, I want you to know that this, this is who our God is. Our God is patient. He's gracious. He's merciful. And all that he asks of us is to come to him honestly, to admit, this is what I've done, and I'm guilty before you, and I know that I can't rescue myself. And that we come before him just in faith, knowing that he is gracious and merciful. That's it. That's all that he asks of us. And if we do that, he is faithful and just to forgive, to forgive the guilt of our sin. 1 John 1, 8 and 9 says this so clearly. He says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And there's joy there, church. There's joy there. Because now we've, we've, we have this understanding of the desperate situation that we were in and that we had no hope apart from God. And then God, he rescued. He rescued And there's joy there for us. So what do we do with this? How do we apply this to our life? What steps should we take? How do we get there? Some of you may be sitting in your seat today and be thinking, you know, uh, this is awesome. I, I, I would love to have the joy of this salvation, but I don't really know what I, what I've done wrong. I don't really know this heart of rebellion. I don't feel guilty over anything. And and so I, I don't really know where to start. So this is the, really the first step. And I would say, if this is you today, you can actually pray and ask God to reveal your sin to you. It's part of who we all are, okay? It's part of all of us. And so we can go before God and we can ask him to reveal that to us. David actually did this himself. Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. He prays that God would reveal his sin to him and show him the wickedness that he has inside of him. And then he says, lead me in the way everlasting. Lead me towards repentance. Lead me towards confession to lead me towards that so that I can experience that grace. 
This seems like a dangerous prayer, doesn't it? Like, it seems like this would be kind of a terrible thing to pray. But you guys, think of the character of God. God is patient and merciful. And so he's not going to, he's not going to destroy you with this guilt. He's not going to do that. What he's going to do is he's going to, in the, just the right time, in just the right way, he will reveal that to you so that he will lead you to repentance. So that's really the first step that we ask God to reveal our sin. I think the second step is really that we need to approach God with humility. We really need to approach God with humility. We can't come to God asking for help with these things and denying the sin that we have in our life at the same time. We can't do that. Um, David's psalm actually instructs us to not be stubborn about this. Verses 8 and 9 are so, so awesome. It paints such a great picture for us of that stubbornness. It says, he says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. I think this is actually a picture that he's writing of himself. He's like, That's, that was me. I kept silent. I was like the horse or a mule, and I needed, I need someone to pull me aside and to guide me and to lead me. But you know what? If we just come before God with humility and say, you know, I, I know that I've sinned. This is what I've done. I know I'm guilty before you. Well, <laughs> we can't lose there. <laughs> we can't lose. James chapter 4 tells us that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And so then he commands, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. That we are to submit ourselves to him. So instead of trying to, to hide our sin, to justify it, or even celebrate it, that we should admit it and, and, and admit that God's ways are far above our own ways. That, that the laws that he has set out for us in his word are better than anything that we could ever think up for ourselves. And we need to submit to what God is telling us to do in his word and conform our life to what God's word says. That's how we approach with humility. So we need to pray to God to reveal our sin. We, we, we approach God with humility and conforming our life to God's word. But really the last thing here is that we should just confess that's the point of the psalm. The point of the psalm is that we know that we can come before this gracious God and confess this sin. And so let's just do that. And I think that we need to do it soon. I think that David wants to give us a sense of urgency about this. That we need to do it today. Verse 6. It says, Therefore let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. He says, in a time when you may be found. Well, that implies that there's a time when God is not going to be found. That implies that there's a time when this mercy and this forgiveness is not going to be there. And that's true. We actually see that all through the scriptures. That there's a day when, when Christ returns and all the dead will be raised and the great judgment will take place. Once that happens... That mercy is no longer available to us. 
But only those who have placed their faith in the salvation that God offers will be, will be saved, fully and finally saved. And they will escape the judgment and the wrath of God. And so there's a sense of urgency here that we need to do this today. We need to, we need to, to repent of the things that we've done and trust in the Lord's salvation. I think that not only confessing our sin to the Lord, uh, that, that's, that's the, the first step of that, but I think there's also a piece of this where we can confess our sin to one another. That it becomes a good practice for us to be able to do this in keeping ourselves humble and, and really recognizing that we don't deserve the grace of God, but it is a gift that he has given us. If you're in a D group, your D group is a great place, a safe place to talk about the things that are going on in your life to confess those things. Or maybe you have a trusted Christian friend, someone that you know is praying for you and could support you and hold you accountable. Well, talk with them about the things that you know are going on in your life and the things that you need to confess. In fact, our pastors and elders, we would love to talk with you about those things. We would love to be someone who would just listen and hear what's going on in your life. In fact, every Sunday morning, we have pastors and elders that meet right down here just to talk with people after church. And so if this is you today, take advantage of that. Come down and, and, and talk with one of the pastors and elders or find a, find a friend that you can confess to and get into the habit, the practice of confessing your sin to one another and actually laying that out so that, so that actually it changes our heart. It begins to, to, to move us towards humility, and, and, and really away from the idea that we are entitled to the salvation that God has given us, okay? You know, I just want to close with, with this idea because going back to verse one and two of the psalm, we actually get to see the incredible mercy and grace of God through what Jesus did for us right here in this passage. Because he says, Blessed is the one whose transgression, whose rebellion, right, is forgiven, is forgiven. And that word is this, is this really neat word. It, it actually literally means lifted up or like to be born like, or carried, right? And I, in Isaiah, when he writes about the Messiah who's coming, he, he uses that same word. He says, surely he, the Messiah, has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. The sinner is a rebel against God, but he is happy and blessed since Jesus lifted that rebellious heart off of him and he bore it himself on the cross. The second one says, whose sin is covered, right? The individual sins that are covered. Well, when we try to cover our own sin and shame with those fig leaves, right? We just try to hide it and cover it up. It never works. But Jesus covers us and he covers us perfectly. He covers us with his robes of righteousness. Again, in Isaiah, he, Isaiah says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My, my soul shall exult in my God for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. And so the sinner has committed great sins against God and others. 
but he is happy and blessed since those sins are covered by the righteousness of Christ. Verse 2, it says, Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, no guilt. It's that legal term, that verdict, right? Well, this term where he says counted against him, it actually means like a, like a reckoning to credit it to his account. And it's the same word that we see in Genesis 15 when Abraham believes God and it was counted to him as righteousness. This is where Abraham believed God, trusted God, and received righteousness by faith. See, the sinner is guilty before God, but then the sinner is happy and blessed when the just judge of the universe declares him righteous instead. You guys, this is a kind of happiness, a kind of joy that is far more than a simple feeling. It's far more than just, than just something, some, some emotion. But this is, this is a peace. It's a relief. It's a joy. It's an elation. It's an, it's an overwhelming thankfulness to God because we had no hope without him. And because of what he has done, we have been freed from that uh, from that death, from that wrath. And here's the thing, there is no circumstance in your life that could ever steal that joy away from you. Because this hope is grounded in the finished work of Christ. It is done. And he's done that for you. And so church, there's nothing in your life, there's no circumstance in your life that could ever steal that joy away from you. That every day, no matter what is going on in your life, that you can stand up and wake up before God and you can say, God, thank you so much for what you've done for me. Thank you so much that I have another day to be here, to serve you, to live for you, to breathe air, to have a heartbeat. This is why David ends the psalm the way that he does. I mean, look at, look at verse 10. He says, many are the sorrows of the wicked, but, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. So he says, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, you upright in heart. We can do that, you guys, because of the grace that God has given us. We can have joy and we can shout for joy because of what he has done. And so church, today, may you, by God's extravagant grace, experience the full joy of your salvation. May you shout for joy today because of what God has done for you. Let's pray together. Our Father, thank you for your word that so clearly shows us what you have rescued us from and shows us the depths of our sin. But simultaneously, it shows us your love and your patience and your mercy towards us, a mercy that we do not deserve, and yet you lavish it on us over and over and over again. And we are so thankful. We are so grateful, God. So Lord, I want to pray for all of us in this room right now, and I ask, Father, that you would make this reality, the reality of our sin, 
the reality of our brokenness and our fallenness, that you would let that sink in to our heart, that we would realize that we deserve nothing. We deserve death. But yet you, in your mercy, rescued. You rescued and you came down sending your son to die on a cross for us to die on a cross in our place. And God, we are just overjoyed because we had no hope. But then you gave us hope. You gave us the assurance of this hope. And so thank you, Lord. Let us now sing for joy, God, with everything we have inside. Let us sing for joy for what you have done for us. And let us leave this place today shouting for joy and telling others about what you have done because this is the greatest news we could ever receive, the greatest gift we could ever open. God, thank you for what you've done for us, God. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.